Thank you for listening to the Revivify Church podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and speaks to you from wherever you're listening. We're going to start a brand new series today that um, I felt several weeks ago that the Lord wanted us to go to, and it's called Family Matters. And uh, how, how many men do we have in the house? How many think you're a man? <laughs> let's put it that way. Let's, let's raise your hand. All right, very good. Leighton, man, would you put your hand down, please? Uh, sorry. Just kidding, just kidding. But again, in this series, Family Matters, we're going to discover uh, four different family altering qualities, and that is purity and peace and righteousness, and then also persecution. And we'll get into those next week, but I want to do an opening today, and primarily, the reason I asked where all our men were at is because I'm primarily going to be speaking to you today. And um, it's, it's going to get interesting, and so we're going to have a lot of fun with this. Everybody like to have fun in church? Good, good, because I like to have fun. I like to, to mess with people a little bit and send them home thinking. And so I want you to turn to the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 2. You remain seated, if you will. Just don't, don't worry about it today. Um, we'll honor the word of the Lord with our hearts today. Um, but in, in, in this series, I, I really, this is what I felt. If the church of the living God in the end time day that we live in, if it's going to be strong, it's going to be strong because we have strong families. Amen? And, and by the way, this is February 2nd. Uh, this is the love month. Right? Gentlemen, if you have not already figured out where you're taking your wife for Valentine's, you have failed. You have 12 days to figure this out, okay? Get on it. Take your Valentine somewhere nice to eat and be sweet to her. I mean, she deserves it. She married you, okay? And so, uh, everybody just do this real quick. Come on, shake off that tightness that I feel in here. I got to preach something tough today, and I need your help. I need your help. Men, you going to preach with me today? You going to teach with me today? You going to say amen when it hurts? All right, very good, very good. All right, so let's start off in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. Now, I want you to hang on to this. I don't want you to get nervous. I don't want to get you get weird. I'm going to explain all this in just a minute. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, so it will be on the screen here. Here we go. And this second thing you do... You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witnessed between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and wife by covenant. Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. 
So guard your hearts in your spirit, or guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now let me read this in the message translation. And here's a second offense. You will fill this place with worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Whew. Do you not know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride and now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage and what does he want from marriage? Children of God. That's what. So guard the spirit of your marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. Verse 16, I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. And the God of the angel army says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. All right, yeah, huh. Absolutely. So I want to give some context to these verses. Now, let me, let me just say this. Let me preface this. I'm generally more apt to preach very evangelistically. Uh, but the Lord spoke to me later, uh, late last year and said, you're going to be teaching a lot more than preaching. You've got preachers. You're going to have people coming in to preach, evangelistically preach. So I, I want you to teach, and I want you to, to dive deep into the Word of God. I really felt like the Lord was telling us that it's time, it's time for us to grow deeper roots than we have ever have before. Amen. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of issues, a lot of different things that we face throughout this year. Uh, so, I, I, But anyway, go with me there. So I want to give you some context to these verses of what we just read. And first, uh, we need to understand concerning the prophet Malachi is this, that his book, his prophecy given to God's people was for this. He was tasked with the job of getting God's people ready for the... <laughs> coming of the Messiah. It was the last book in the Old Testament. And so his job, his task was set up to prepare them to get ready for Jesus to show up. And if you read Malachi in its entire context, what you get the feel for is that there were a few things that they needed to do to get ready for Jesus to really have a place to meet them in their life. Now, let me, let me dive into this. According to Malachi chapter 2, the people of God, and particularly the men, 
uh, because at this time, whether you like it or not, the women were not allowed to speak in church or to even speak in synagogue or even have anything really to do with it. It was just the men. Uh, garbage, but that was the culture. The people of God were complaining, the men of God were complaining about not getting the things that they wanted, and then they were fussing about their adverse circumstances when the truth was they had only themselves to blame. And that is the human bent, is that we always want to avoid anything of guilt by redirecting the blame elsewhere. Let me ask you some questions. How many of us want to live a blessed life? Man, how many want a blessed home? How many of us want a blessed marriage? How many of us want a blessed family? Absolutely. And then in order to do that, we have to put ourselves into the place of blessing. I don't know where we got this gospel that it just comes. You wrote your tie check, so it comes. You went to church, check mark, it comes. No. Too often we're asking God to bless what we're doing when we should be asking God to show us what he's blessing. And sometimes it's just a matter of adjusting our attitude or our behavior that will change our circumstances. So let's step back into what we're supposed to be doing. Now, divorce in these times, I want you to understand something with me, was something that was reserved this is wild, exclusively for the men. A woman could not or was not permitted to divorce her husband for any reason. Yet according to these verses, God is scolding them that they broke faith or became faithless with their wives. And not just divorcing their wives, but they were also ignoring the very reason for the marriage bond in their relationship. And that was, according to what we read, was for them to produce offspring godly offspring or children who serve the Lord. Now, let me present this to you gentlemen. Are you here still? We're going somewhere, hang on. Could it be that your most godly, your most holy commitment as a man, as a husband, is to love your wife completely and produce children that love the Lord? Now, let me give a disclosure here. I want to be sensitive about divorce here. I'm not naive to think that divorce doesn't happen sometimes out of necessity. It's not what God intended. It's never what God wanted. But we live in a fallen world. Mistakes happen. Things go wrong. Some folk are just jerks. And all the women said, amen, amen. He's preaching now. And so I'm not here to talk about divorce as much as I'm here to talk about the behavior that leads to divorce. Now, gentlemen, again, this is going to be more directed towards you. But And, and, and uh, if you're not married, raise your hand. Gentlemen, just gentlemen, if you're not married, raise your hand. Zach, you're never getting married, buddy, as far as I'm concerned. I can't handle that, buddy. You'd break my heart. Raise your hand if you're not married. Young men, gentlemen. Good boy. Good man. That's right. That's right. He's tried to marry April about four or five times. And not happening. All right. So 
I, I want you to understand, gentlemen, if you're not married, this is just as good for you as it is for those who are married. And, and, and uh, if you ever intend to be married, you're going to be able to take some of this stuff and you're going to be able to really uh, apply it in your heart and your spirit so you can be prepared to be married. And then, ladies, I, I want you to take this because what you're going to hear today is going to help you find a husband. I heard a man go, woo-woo. What, 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 what was that about? I'm not really sure. Maybe we need to change our series just a little bit. All right, so, oh God, let's move on. So first things first, I told you we're going to have fun today. Ephesians 5.22, y'all ready? All the wind's supposed to be sucked out of the building. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as... Now they're awake, yeah. Yeah, that was the only single guy saying that, right? They have much to learn, do they not? Absolutely. So, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. <gasps> Y'all keep breathing. It's okay. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. All right, here we go. Right from the start, soon as we started reading, we had young men single, of course, going, yeah! And women gasping for air. For years, this verse has been used as a weapon toward women to manipulate them into tolerating things in their marriage that should never be. And so if that's you today, don't say amen, just mm. let's unpack this. First thing I want you to notice is it says that men, as a husband, you are the head of the household. Now watch this, head meaning top or the stone in the building. By extension, someone or something in a primary place, the point of origin. And you thought it was all about being in charge. No. Well, I'm the head. Yeah, but she's probably the next that turn in your head. <laughs> it literally means that the buck stops with you, men. Even as Christ is the head of the church, this, this point of origin. Now watch this, 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So what he's saying, sir, you are the point of direction, the point of origin for godly leadership in your home. It comes from God through Christ to you as a man. As a husband. 
You are the one to bring it to your home. And far too long, we've left it up to the women folk to be the prayer warriors, to be the godly leaders of our children. And that was never meant by God to be. It starts with the man of the house. Verse 25 in, in, in Ephesians here, it says, Husbands, love your wife, wives as Christ loved the church. Nowhere does it say, Husbands, rule your wives. I would dare you to try, but nowhere does it say to rule them. It says to love them as Christ loves the church. This is not a privilege of marriage. This is a responsibility of marriage. Verse 25, he continues that, and gave himself up for her. So husbands, you are to be Christ-like and lay your life down for her. All right, y'all get ready. Four things I'm going to give you. Four different rights, husband, that I'm going to give you right here. Y'all ready? Number one. Husbands, you have the right to lay down the right to look at another woman in the way you should look at her. You have the right to lay that down and to never look at another woman again. Ooh, I think I hit a brick wall right there. Okay, now I'm going to read some verses. They're going to get kind of kind of racy here, okay? Don't blame me. I didn't write it. Okay, we'll, we'll make it as PG as possible. Watch this, Proverbs 5.18. Proverbs 5.18, here we go. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, hang on. <laughs> Verse 19. A lovely deer and a graceful doe. Babe, that's why I like deer hunting so much. <laughs> it's your fault. You my graceful doe. Oh, boy. Let her, yeah, fill you at all times with delight. <laughs> Be intoxicated. God, what am I doing? Be intoxicated always in her love. Here comes the, the verse 20. Boy, here's the, here's the battle. Here's the bad one. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? You have the right to lay down the right to never, ever lust after another woman. You lust after your wife and her only. Gentlemen, as he said in verse 20, don't be intoxicated with someone else, but be intoxicated with her. Because what she has is all you'll ever need. I keep looking for kids in here. i got to try to keep this right. <clears throat> Husbands, lean over and whisper in your wife's ear. 
Yours is the only ones I ever need. Matthew 5, 27. And you've heard it. It was said, you shall not commit adultery. Everybody believe that? Man, you better get your hands up. Absolutely. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for, better, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown to hell. Number two, you lay down the right to be unemployed and not help provide for your family. 1 Timothy 5.8, but, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I realize we live in different times, and sometimes role reversals happen and due to different circumstances, health, disabilities, and so on. And so I'm not coming at you if that's the case. If that's your situation, I get that. But if you are a well-able-bodied man and you're not trying to find employment because you'd rather play Call of Duty, then, man, you are not marrying material. Get your butt off the couch and go to work. I can't find anything. Then get down here to the church and I'll show you some things you can do. Number three, you lay down the right to be verbally abusive or physically abusive and you lay down the right to be bitter, hold grudges, and unleash your temper. Colossians 3.19 Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Oh, and by the way, you lay down the right to use the silent treatment. That's a good one we pull out every now and then, isn't it? I just won't talk to her. Because we figured out women are women of words. They're like double that of a man. Blah, blah, blah. Times you come home and it's just, well, what about your day? I saw this and man, I was at Walmart and they didn't have my makeup again. Woman, we're out there trying to solve the world's problems and you're worried about your makeup. That's what you want to do, but you say, oh, honey, that's sad. We need to call Walmart. We need to talk to that person. We need to talk to that prez. Don't use a silent treatment. See, what this verse means in Colossians 3.19 is that you do whatever it takes to provide a stable, steady environment and you become the rock of their security and for your family. Let me say this. Gentlemen, if the atmosphere changes in the room when you walk in to fear and contention and division, then you need to get out of that room and get with Jesus until your heart changes. When daddy comes home, it ought to be a celebration because their protector's there. Their security's there. The love of their life has just walked in. Daddy's home. Man's home. That's the atmosphere you should be creating. 
I don't always do that. But that's what we should strive to do. Number four, you lay down the right to not be touchy-feely. Well, I'm just not the touchy-feely kind. Then you should have never gotten married, bucko. You should have just got a best friend, a buddy. We know where that goes, but anyway, we just... I'm, I'm just not, I, you know, I'm just not the touchy-feely kind. Really? Well, you're the touchy-feely kind when you want some touchy-feely stuff. I told you this is going to get real today. Gentlemen, we all get soft when, you know, and all mushy in our hearts. Just, you know, when, hey, babe, you looking good. You looking, you looking fly. Let me tell you something. She saw you coming from a mile away. She knows what you up to. <laughs> All right, here comes a tough one. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Do not deprive one another except perhaps for agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Women, this will be for you. Do not use relations as a weapon or a bargaining chip. Because I promise you there's someone out there who will give it away freely. Don't do that. You're, you're treading in dangerous territory. In fact, you're treading in that place that Satan lives. To con you, to trick you, your husband, trick you, your wife, into doing things you don't need to be doing because you took a stand on something. And you used something that was never meant to be used as a weapon but only as a gift. Y'all not used to me talking like this, are you? I'm actually going to give you five rights. Here we go. You lay down the right to not be complimentary or a man of nice words. I figured out over 27 years, going on 28 years this September 12th, that our wives are in need of constant praise and encouragement. And I don't know why it is this is the hardest one for us to be encouraging to them, to love them, and, and to, to, to give accolades and to shower words of affirmation on them. I don't know why it's so tough. I, I, I struggled with it. I've, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. But I, at, through this study, I realized I had some inconsistencies in my life and some things that I was short on. And, and, and I think this is one of them that we all could use. Because listen, this, this praise, this constant encouragement is food for her soul. And this world is constantly telling them that they are less than and that they don't look as good as what that one does on Instagram or in Metropolitan Magazine or Glamour. They've got constant, the world is, 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 is telling them that you got to look like this, you got to look like that. And movie stars and celebrities that... You know, they have all the money they could possibly hope for, so they spend more time in the plastic surgeon's office than they do at home. And so all of it is fake and it's a facade. 
And gentlemen, if, if, if you were superficial enough to look at your wife's stretch marks because she had your children, and you look at them with disdain, you're an idiot. You're a jerk. You put those stretch marks there. She needs to be the queen of your life. You need to love her for helping you raise those kids and giving you a godly home. We can't, man, we can't buy into this culture. Love on her. Praise her. Worship the ground that she walks on. Let her know she is the only one and the most beautiful woman in the world. Because if you don't, there is some dude with too tight of jeans on <laughs> that will do it for you. And I promise you, you don't want to face that. Y'all sweating yet? I am. All right, here we go. Who wants a better wife? Easy. Head of the class, he's already got it. So who wants a better wife? All right, watch this. Ephesians 5.26. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, you are to wash your wife emotionally and spiritually with the word of God, not whip her with it. Use God's word to wash away her fears, her anxieties, and let the word of God build her strength and bring her courage. Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So finding a wife is a good thing. Say it with me, husbands. She is a good thing. Say it. Say it like you mean it. She's a good thing. But if you want her to continue to be a good thing, it is all on you how you steward that blessing in your life. Just as money is a blessing when it is stewarded properly, so is your wife. Don't take advantage. Husbands, watch this. You need to write this down. Your wife is a product of your husbandry. Well, my wife doesn't do this. My wife doesn't do that. My wife fails at this. And my wife fails at that. Really? Well, look who she married. That perhaps was her first failure. Y'all going to hate me. It's going to be nothing but women up in this place next week. want a better wife she'll come alive with your devotion and with your attention but if you neglect her she withers away husbands let me get to what I'm trying to get to you today you matter you're important Ephesians 5.27 says, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christ does all of this, is what he's telling us, so he can present to himself a bride that is right, that is clean, that is holy, that is better. So men, if we are to do as Christ does, then you matter, what you say matters, 
and what you do matters. Because your job is to present your wife and your family spotless, wrinkle-free before Jesus so they can be presented as holy and without blemish. Gentlemen, are you presenting, are you attempting to present them in this way? Or are you leaving it all to happenstance? I want to close with this today. It's no secret that our world is hurting from a shortage of real men. Men, where are you? Where are you? I could do what most sermons like this do, and that is give you the statistics of fatherless homes, and on and on it goes, and it, it, the, the, the percentages are just unreal. They're, they're incredible. Uh, and how many homes actually today have fatherless homes or have homes with fathers who might be there but are not really present? Or the, the, the divorce rate is, is high 50s, low 60s. That means one in two marriages throughout the world will end in divorce. And without question, it just happens. So men, I'm asking, where are you? Where are you in your home? Where are you in the church? Because men, you matter. And we need you to rise up. And be the man that God calls you to be. Not just in fixing things. Not just in deer hunting. Crawling out there with the critters. Because every one of you know that when it's dark and you walk into your stand in the middle of the morning when it's dark and all you guys are flashlight and you're seeing eyes everywhere glow at you, you are freaked out of your mind. We're loaded to the teeth with ammo. And we scare to death. I just revealed me as I'm walking in the woods. We see things that were never there. We have animals following us to the stand that actually never really followed us, but we're convinced they were on our, you know, on our six. talking about those kind of men that can go out and camp for days at a time without ever coming back into existence of civilian life just you know just out there roughing it I'm talking about a man that shows himself when he gets on his knees and he bows before God and he prays over his family men where are you where are you Gentlemen, I, I want you all to come up to the front. Every husband in the house, and if you want to be a husband, I want you to come up to the... If you just want to be a man, maybe maybe marriage is not for you in this section of your life. But maybe it will be one day. I want you to come up here. Come on, gentlemen, squeeze in tight. There was an interesting question asked yesterday at our men's unity breakfast something to the point of when did you first discover you became a man or what event in your life brought you to that place those of you who were there it was 
kind of a real broad question, but boy, it had laser focus when it got to the roundtables. Man, I was blown away by the, the, the rawness and, and, the, and the realness that each man at, the t- at a table began to share about the things that they had been through when they discovered what it took to be a man. one particular gentleman at our table. I can't remember what country he was from. Tim, what country was that? The one that had to def- defend his sister? Mozambique? That, I didn't know there was a Mozambique. Uh, uh, wow. Okay. That one right over me. Um, his father had, had left to seek a better life in Kenya, I think it was. And just left the family, abandoned the family. And this young man, teenager, was the only man of the house. And his sister ended up getting pregnant. And the culture says that the two families come together and they make them marry regardless, no matter what. And the, the, the uh, offending male, has the family has to give some kind of money or something or gifts or something to this family. And this teenager's sister came to him, her brother, and said, I don't want to go. He never gave us the circumstances of how she became pregnant, and I, I got a feeling it was, it was kind of messed up. It wasn't a, I, I just got the feeling it wasn't a consensual thing. And this young man stood up, and he looked that family in the eyes, and he said, she's not going. 15, 16 years old, he had to flex his muscle as a man and tell those people, you're not taking my sister. You're going to provide for this child. This ain't happening. And this was so countercultural that it blew up the community. But he stood his ground. At that moment, he realized what it took. I sat there and I, I looked at that. I was like, my God. When they got around to me, I was like, well, my story ain't that impressive. I just had to worry about trying to get good grades. But let me ask you something. When did you learn what it was to become a man? Perhaps you you were told taking out the trash is what makes you a man. Never let the trash build up. Never let it get to a certain point. You did, you got beat. You cut that grass, I don't care what time of night you get finished. If it's dark, bring a flashlight. forced into hard labor, if you will, working all the time. That was being a man. Making sure the doors were locked, lights were turned off. Whatever it is your dad said, this was what being a man is. Or perhaps it was an uncle or a distant relative of sorts. I, I don't know. But whatever it was. What, when did you first realize it took what it took to be a man? 
One particular gentleman at our table said, you know what I realized how to be a man was through movies. I was like, whoa, that's not a good place. And he, within short order of me thinking that, he come right out and said, that wasn't a really good place to learn how to be a man. I learned what not to do. It wasn't a good place. I want to read you a verse of scripture in Ezekiel 22 verse 30 it says I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it watch this but I found none you know what I hear today I hear God's call going out across America going I'm looking for a man is there a man that will stand in the gap for his family, for his relatives, for his church, for his city, for his nation. Is there a man? And I pray to God, Jake, I don't hear his last statement, but I found none. Gentlemen, you absolutely matter. And I want you to understand something. Ezekiel was not talking about a brick and mortar wall and not a torn down gate. Uh, nothing like that. He, he, in fact, if you read early in the verses, he's simply saying, stop whitewashing over the issues and stop trying to fix yourselves through religiosity. Don't just come to church. Be the church. Come on. Don't say, man, we had a great service on Sunday and then on Monday sit around the lunch table and joke about something nasty about a woman. Be a man. Be a God-fearing, God-centered man. Be the one who stands up and repairs the breach. Be the one who stands up, who rises up on the occasion when it's called for and resists the tide of culture. Be that man. Will you be that one that will stand in the gap for your wife, for your children, for your family? Maybe, it, maybe it's a little nephew or a little niece that doesn't have a dad in your family and you're just kind of sitting back and watching the melee. Dude, be a man and get in there. You see somebody around this church that doesn't have a dad present? Get in there. Be a man. That's what being a man's all about. It's raising children in the fear and admonition of God. I need you to be men. Because I need a man to look me in the eyes when I'm not right and say, get right. And I've got that in my life. Do you have that in your life? God, I hope so. Be a man. Are you raising your children just to take out the trash and cut the lawn and to be responsible for things? Or are you raising them to love God? And for the record, you can do both at the same time. You can do both at the same time. And so today, gentlemen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to show you what it is to be a godly man. I want you to raise your hand. And I want you to seek that. I want you to seek that. What does it mean to be a man? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like to know more, please visit www.revivify.church.